When all is ready, I throw this switch. Well, golly gee willikers, everybody. Welcome to the Collected Edition, a comic book podcast where we talk about all the wholesome stories in comics. I'm Paul Broom Broom Carr, and with me, as always, is Brian Carrot Top Reese. Ooh, ah, well, well, well done, Mr. Carr. Yeah. Fun fact, when I was in elementary school, kids called me Broom Broom because that's what cars do. Well, I had, uh, I, I, I had uh, Carrot Top, I had Howdy Doody, I had... Uh, Ooh, Howdy Doody. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, that was, that was always nice. That's just because, oh no, never mind, I'm not going to make a Woody joke. <laughs> <laughs> Moving I, I, I share a hair color with Archie, or at least relatively speaking. I don't yes. think that color actually exists in real life. That's actually one of the most unrealistic things about Archie is that he's the most popular kid and he's a red. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and I did not have hashtags in my hair. Oh, no, that was very uh, prescient of, uh, of Archie. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know. Hashtag redhead. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All this is going to be cut. You realize that, don't you? Oh, that's too bad. I mean, uh, <laughs> just like that, 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 you know, that, that might uh, be a little bit fun to leave in. But anyway, go ahead. All right, All right we'll see. Uh, so today on the program, uh, obviously, from our previous banter, we're talking about Archie Comics, specifically the collection The Best of Archie Americana Silver Age, which is a collection of comics from the 60s and 70s that highlight uh, some of the trends that were going on at the time. But first... Well, we don't really have much in the way of topics um, other than rumor and speculation. Right. I have no idea what's going on these days. I'm so out of touch. Everything's been very quiet recently. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the industry is still trying to recover and... Right. But the one... uh, Well, it's not a rumor. Mark Wade is returning to DC Comics. Do we know that for certain? It is certain. He is coming back in December. We don't know on what. But the speculation is that he will be taking over for Brian Bendis on Superman. Right. Because Bendis is, Bendis is ending his Superman run in December. That we do know is confirmed. Yes. Uh, and by all accounts, uh, Mark Wade's you know, dream job has been to write Superman. Yeah, it seems, uh, dare I say, fortuitous. Yes. Well, a lot of fortuitous things have happened. Uh, right. Uh, Mark Wade had a contentious relationship with Dan Didio. And Bob Harris. And Bob Harris. Well, I was going to say... More, more Bob Harris. I was going to say oh. a, a contentious relationship with Dan Didio, but an outright hatred of Bob Harris. As, which, as, you know, as we've been given to understand. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, I don't think is an uncommon feeling from, from what I hear. Yeah. Well, very few of us were thrilled when Bob Harris was named. It was like, oh, here we go. 19, late 80s, early 90s, Marvel. Uh, he seemed kind of neutered in his role at, uh, I, 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 it's hard to tell what influence Bob Harris actually had on the DC Comics uh, during his tenure. Right. Well, well, anyway, it just seems as if uh, now that those two people are out of the way, Mark Wade has decided, or Maybe it was decided that he should come back now. He, let's say he was probably invited back by people who are interested in the creative uh, portions of DC Comics, which, which suggests that maybe somebody at DC, uh, in keeping with our previous conversation, maybe somebody at DC is still interested in the creative aspect of the comics. I think they're still there, yeah. You know, everything that, all the shakeups that are going on at DC, it'll be interesting to see how it all 
shakes out. Shakes and, out. Yeah. Well, as as a shakeup would then yeah. indicate that a shake up. But things would shake out. But you know, but just as far as the talent that's there right now, you would think really creative things. First of all, other than Mark Wade, you have you know Gail Simone and Scott Snyder and James Tinian and and Bendis for that matter. Bendis so, and. Uh, well, and I mean, man, they, they got Kelly Sue, DeConnick, and yes. Matt Fraction to write for us. And Matt Fraction gave us maybe one of my favorite uh, uh, DC miniseries, 12-issue, whatever it was, uh, the Jimmy Olsen. Uh, we may talk about that in December. At the yeah, end I, of December. I, I was just going to say, save that for December. We need an yeah. end of the year thing. This year's going to be kind of hard, I think, picking some best of. Because things have been happening. Yes, so, but to focus back, right? Uh, so. <laughs> yes. Things have been happening which are causing, th- which are causing things not to happen. Yes. Uh, which will tie into my recommendation for later. Ooh. Spoilers. Ooh. Or a tease. There you go. Right. Uh, but to tie back into, uh, you know, I'm actually excited. I, I like Mark Wade. You know, I, and he's not, you know, not everything he does is great. But no. The things, but the things he does that are great are great. That doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> Except it makes perfect sense. Yeah, he's written some classic comics that I truly love. Right. For a variety of publishers. Exactly. And, um, uh, and, and, hit, and the prospect of him taking over Superman, I find exciting. If, if that is indeed what will happen. I, it, it seems really odd that that is not what will happen. Right. Considering that has, was his dream project. His dream project, Bendis is uh, voluntarily stepping away. Right. You know, the, the bad people are out of the way. So everything seems to be coming together for it. And there's too many people talking about this right now. Seems a yeah. foregone conclusion. That, it, it, it seems like speculation is that that's... Wouldn't it be fascinating if he, uh, you know, takes over, um, I don't know, uh, Booster Gold? <laughs> well, um, Josh Williamson's leaving for The Flash. So maybe he's taking over The Flash. You know. Right. Well, but that would be that would be weird. Like Mark Wade returning to the Flash. Maybe he's just going to do it really quickly. I mean, it's that <laughs> that wouldn't be a bad thing. His Flash run is kind of classic. Yeah, exactly. But it it seems weird if I were a writer, which I'm not, which is why I talk about it rather than doing it. I don't know. I'd I'd be a little funny just like returning to it's it's like i love peter tomasi peter tomasi's great i think he has done some really good comics he's done some really interesting stuff but it just seems like he keeps returning to batman and he keeps returning to batman i think it would be really interesting if mark wade came back to the flash and brought back wally west and then you could have jeff johns bring barry allen back it'll be this back and forth (laughs) now now we're just in fanboy pornography Uh, anywho, I, I think it's... So what, what we think is, the, the, the general feeling is that, uh, that Mark Waid is probably coming back to write his dream job. Which is a good thing. And since we don't really have much in the way of news and, and other things happening in the comic book world, I have decided to ask Brian what his feelings are on a specific subject. <laughs> well, it was a running gag for the first, what, year of this program that Brian did not like Brian Bendis. Well, and that's not entirely true. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis has written some incredible stuff. I think I've even said this. I'm probably repeating myself from previous podcasts. But Brian Michael Bendis has written some incredible stuff. He has done some really good comics, both independently with his crime comics, which is what made his his nut, as it were. Uh, But, uh, you know, I mean, gee willikers to quote you from the intro. Uh, You know, I mean, that, that Daredevil run was great. 
and his yes, extended absolutely. run on the Ultimate Spider-Man and you know various other things. And even some of the comics that he wasn't at his prime with had some really good moments. It just, like, I think we all had, like, you know, Bendis exhaustion. And uh, you know, not every project that they put him on towards the end of his tenure at Marvel was a good fit. Exactly. And Marvel seemed to want to put him on everything. You know? When you have your quote-unquote superstar writer, of which he was at a time, he was the superstar writer in comic. Oh, yeah. He was one um, of the architects that brought Marvel back from the brink, you know? Right. I mean, yeah. you then you, you then you try to slot him in everywhere, and maybe that was... I, I don't know. I wasn't in the room with, with editorial when these discussions were happening. I don't, yeah. I don't know. You weren't he, in the room where it happened? No. Um, <laughs> been watching Hamilton. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Really? Hamilton's but, uh, awesome. It's so mm, good. It's so good. Uh, so, so, so good. Uh, okay. It's, it's so good, man. White people love Hamilton. It's, but, uh, do you know who made it? I, I know who made it. I also know who loves it. Because it's, it's really good. You're going to cut all this out, I would hope. Oh, no. Because you're, you're a racist and you don't like Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We have our third party opining as well. <laughs> no. Uh, so let's give you a good Anywho. cut spot. I wasn't in the room where decisions were made, like it was a Bendis volunteering or having an interest in something, or was it someone saying, hey, Bendis, here, why don't you try this? And Bendis was like, oh, I'm in Marvel. Okay, I'm going to do this. Um, but I think his move to DC, again, and I, I think I've said this before, I, I feel like it reinvigorated him in some ways. And I think that his work on Superman has been very interesting. Not everything works. I think action comics... Like, he took two tacks, right, with his the, the two prime Superman uh, titles, Superman and Action. And his work on Action has been great. It's been really, it's, it's, it's crime comics. And Superman has, the Superman comics have been intriguing, although it has held my attention less than his work on Action comics. I think he's done a great job with Young Justice, and I bet there are people out who love Young Justice who will disagree, and that's cool. I'm fine with that. But, uh, you know, I think some of his work, you know, Naomi was great. Oh, yeah. Pearl was great. Yeah. I mean, I think that he has done, I, I think moving companies reinvigorated or helped him refocus on storytelling. And I don't care as much about continuity as other people do. So people are always going to complain about continuity and the fact that Bendis ignores continuity. Who cares? He, he tells stories and some of them work really well. Some of them don't. His last few years at Marvel, the storytelling I think suffered. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I just, I really... I am intrigued to see where he goes with DC. And I think we all have a certain title in mind in terms of speculation mm -hmm. as to where Bendis ends up. It would make perfect sense for him to go to Green Lantern. Kidding. Oh, Batman. <laughs> Batman, of course, is is where he's sure. rumored to go. And and that 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 is all rumor. He may never write Batman as an ongoing in his life. Who knows? But part of me is like, well, why the hell not give him a shot? You know, I mean, he again. It's like I just said earlier. It's his specialty was crime comics. Yeah, he was writing noirish crime stuff from the get-go. And then when he came over to Marvel, he was writing Daredevil, which is noir. Yeah. And, you know, if you take his run on 
Daredevil and how good that was, it's only a slight change of color of the outfit. It's pretty much Batman. And his street level stuff, his right. he created Jessica Jones for Pete's sakes. Yeah. I mean, it, it just seems logical to give him a shot. Will it work? I don't know. I, I have no idea. It could be great. It yeah. could be terrible. It could also <laughs> be eh. We'll never know until it happens. We'll never know until it happens. And it just, he's written so many other characters, so many other iconic characters. He is a good writer who can be very bad at some times and can be really great at some times. Right. Give it a go. Give it a go. Hand over, hand over Batman. Let's see where it goes. And we can all weigh in and critique it later. Absolutely. Once we actually have stories under our belt to actually talk about. Exactly. And of course, it's, 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 <laughs> I say this and then he'll never write Batman. In we don't know. <laughs> we have um, no idea. Well, if he stays at DC long enough, he'll write Batman. That's just how things are. Yeah, I, I actually really like Brian Michael Bendis. I don't think he's a bad writer. I don't, I don't think he's a bad writer. I think he gets lazy and he falls back into these Bendis tropes that he has. Right. Uh, which, is tell- why I, which is why I think the change in companies did him good. Right. You can tell when he's not interested in a subject. Like his Guardians mm. of the Galaxy run was just, was just boring. Yeah. There, was no, there, was no, there was no excitement in it. It was just sort I of- I didn't a, love his going, Iron Man. Yeah, that's another one that just kind of went through, his, went through the motions. Mm-hmm. Um, but something like Ultimate Spider-Man, Miles Morales, obviously he had a, an interest in that. Because he was creating a thing. Yes, he was, he was fantastic. A new thing. But it was, but it was something like he loves Spider-Man. He mm-hmm. tried to put Spider-Man in everything. <laughs> right. uh, and even just creating a new Spider-Man, there was something about that subject that he loved. And yet it came through on the page. And it's why we got the, the extensive Avengers writing that tried to bring in Spider-Man and Wolverine mm-hmm. and Daredevil at some point. And, you know, all these characters that probably shouldn't have been in the Avengers. Yeah, I find his Avengers run to be incredibly interesting, but maybe he shouldn't be writing group books. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think that that's one of the critiques of him is is that he, you know, because you get the sameness of dialogue, you know, there's, there's a lot of kind of structure and linguistic rhetorical critiques of, of Bendis and how some of his characters all sound the same when he's writing a group. Yeah, and you, they you would have these these pages after pages of just like twenty four panels of people talking. It's Brian Michael Bendis talking to himself. Right, I get that. I completely get that. But uh, I, I, you know, we'll see. You know, um, I am in favor. I understand that there's other great writers out there that should get a shot as well, and that'll happen hopefully. Again, I'd love to read a Matt Fraction Batman. Holy crow! Yeah. <laughs> that Absolutely. Would, that would be fascinating. I'd love to read a Kelly Sue DeConnick Batman. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That would be good. Yeah. I, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I realize I'm talking about two people yeah. who are very closely related to each other. <laughs> I would love well, to read a Jonathan Hickman Batman. Yeah. Has Gail Simone write, written Batman? Oh, uh, yes and no. I, I don't, not extensively, not, not through... Not, not an ongoing series. Not not as an ongoing. I mean, but she wrote Birds of Prey. Yeah. <laughs> but for how long? I mean, Gail Simone has a very strong, you know, 
a CV on, you know, bat titles. Yeah. Well, she, like yes. a very strong. <laughs> yes, I know uh, Batman showed up in a lot of her series, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking about specifically, you know, right. the Batman title or or detective. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, who wouldn't you know, be interested in hearing, you know, Donny Cates writing Batman? You know, I mean, there's a lot of writers that we could posit uh, as being fascinating in terms of giving, <laughs> Neil, giving, giving Batman a shot. Neil Gaiman writes Batman. No, Neil Gaiman has written Batman. Sort of. Well, we had the R.I.P. Like he had those great uh, like oh, yeah. uh, R.I.P. run. And... Oh, yeah. I forgot about that, actually. I was thinking about Batman showing up in Preludes and Nocturnes. Mm-hmm. For like two panels, right before before they completely separated Vertigo and yes. like that they were trying to make Dream part of the superhero community. Although I believe uh, some of the DC heroes did show up during the wake. Yes, well, I think everyone showed up at the wake. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we digress, as we do. <laughs> yes. So I thought we wouldn't have anything to talk about. I think we just did what twenty minutes on nothing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, no, I love it's, that. Not, it's speculation. I, I don't, you know, hate James Tinian and I don't hate Detective uh, Tomasi, but uh, I, I just... I like Tinian. I, I like him too. And I, I think he does really interesting work. I don't love him on Batman as much as other people do. Mm-hmm. And that's cool because everybody has a different take on how their characters or their, some of their favorite characters are written. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's not bad comics, but uh, man... I mean, it, especially when you think about the artists that uh, that Bendis can command. Oh, yeah. And the artists who want to work with Bendis. I mean, can you imagine Bendis and Alex Maleev? It, it would be great. I think they want to work with Bendis because he's like, I'm going to have two pages of people just staring at each other with <laughs> <laughs> making faces. Can you do that? Oh, hell yeah, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it just so, you know, who knows? Who knows? I mean, it makes me hopeful. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And, and then we comics will move on. And Bendis will finally write the question, which we all want him to write. Do we, though? Oh, I would love to see him write the question. Okay. Well, on that note, my question for you is, should we take a <laughs> break? Should we take a break? I believe we should take a break. Okay. So we're going to take a break. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk about Archie Comics. Hi everyone, I'm Paul Matthew Carr, and I'd like to introduce you to a brand new podcast all about the craft and the process of writing. It's called Word After Word, and each month I'll be joined by Professor David Hicks to discuss the skills and methods needed to be a great writer. Using examples from novels, short stories, and poetry, as well as TV and film, we'll dissect passages, beautiful scenes, and characters, and investigate the process writers have employed in order to create their great work. Along the way, we'll be joined by special guests, best-selling authors, poets, as well as up-and-coming writers, to get their advice and learn the habits that make them successful at what they do. So join us, Paul Matthew Carr and David Hicks, for Word After Word, a podcast on writing. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can also find us online at wordafterwordpodcast.com. And we're back. Today, Paul, today we have a listener recommendation, something we're very fond of. Would you like to tell us a little bit about this? Archie Comics is a mainstay of the comic book industry. It's been plugging away for decades telling simple stories about the joys of youth and the teenage experience through a colorful cast of characters that has become infused into the cultural landscape. Created in 1941 by John Goldwater, 
writer Vic Bloom and artist Bob Montana, as an alternative to the superhero story, they decided to base comic on the character Andy Hardy from the young adult films that were immensely popular at the time. The comic focuses on the misadventures of one Archibald Andrews, a redheaded everyman teenager type, and immediately Archie struck a chord with readers and became an instant hit. So much so that the name of the company, MLJ Publishing, was changed to simply Archie Comics in 1946, just five years after he first appeared. Along the way, Archie was joined by a roster of stalwart companions. Jughead Jones, Archie's girl-hating, food-loving, crown-wearing best friend. Reggie Mantle, Archie's devious nemesis. And Veronica Lodge and Betty Cooper, Archie's infamous love interests and two women who couldn't pass the Bechdel test to save their lives. Ha! And many more, of course, from other teenagers to parental figures to faculty at the local high school, all of whom serve as instigators and foils for the wacky hijinks that occurs. Archie is set in the fictional town of Riverdale that exists in a nebulous region of the United States that at times seems to be in the Midwest, but it's often on the coast, could possibly be in the South, but it's also very Northern. Riverdale is Americana exemplified and could be considered a character in its own right, and it is the backdrop of the wholesome shenanigans that Archie and his gang get up to. And those shenanigans change depending on the era that they're taking place in. Archie has a chameleon-like ability to adapt to the period it appears, seeming both of its time and a relic of the past simultaneously. This has allowed Archie to endure right up to the present day and garner praise and a loyal fan base comprised of multiple generations. It has grown and spun off into dozens of titles, newspaper strips, TV shows, movies, cartoons, and even a top 40 hit. Archie comics have done something quite remarkable for a young adult comic. It stayed relevant. The stories we'll be discussing today are from the Silver Age, and they are a travelogue of fads and fashions of that time from the swinging mods and rockers of the 60s to the groovy hippies and disco dancers of the 70s. And it tackles hard-hitting topics like how to be a beatnik, the proper way to protest, and probably, most important of all, what's the deal with hot pants? Archie Comics tells their stories in short narratives using sight gags, puns, one-liners, and always culminate in a vaudevillian punchline, usually with a nod and a wink to the reader. These are not sophisticated tales, and they're not meant to be. They're not striving for any deeper meaning other than kids be kids and parents don't get it. These stories are meant to appeal to younger readers at the moment. There is no far-sighted speculation on what the future will hold. No, it simply takes whatever is drifting through the pop cultural zeitgeist at the time and crafts an easily digestible snack to chew on on a Sunday afternoon in a nondescript, non-threatening way. Reading Archie comics is like sifting through a time capsule of ancient relics pop cultural artifacts of slang and music, fashion trends, social movements and causes, and even politics, albeit on a very surface level. And that may be the secret of Archie's success. Archie Comics never shied away from any topic, be it social, political, even supernatural. And yes, all of these topics are treated with a certain innocence, even naivete, but they were always sincere and wholeheartedly earnest. And that innocence is charming. That earnestness is refreshing. And even if the topics aren't as topical and the punchlines don't pack the same punch, Archie's spirit remains simple and sincere. And that's just kind of nice. So Brian, what do you think of Archie Comics? Well, I think you just said it all. I, this is the <laughs> podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you in two weeks when we cover... Uh, uh, no, um. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a, that was a great intro, Paul. Thanks, well, I, whew, no, I mean, I'm the same as you, you know, it's, Archie is fascinating, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's this weird 
fascinating kind of bizarre world that while like you said is topical uh, seems completely outside of the real world okay I mean, this is comics <laughs> of course it's outside of the real world <laughs> no what you're i you know there is a, a comics even you know whatever era they're they're written in are trying to portray the world as it is right well, archie doesn't do that no <laughs> Uh, you know, this is not a Robert Crumb or Peter Bag comic. Oh no! I, I think <laughs> love to see so- Crumb read. <laughs> Have Crumb write Archie. That would be amazing. <laughs> it w- yes, it would. Oh man! <laughs> or this- or <laughs> American <laughs> Splendor reads reads <laughs> Archie comics. <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue. I- right. No. No. I know it's. Uh, it would be very interesting. And I, I think that Archie has tried in recent years to kind of shake things up a little bit. Yeah. And has brought in some interesting writers who have tried to give a, a very modern spin to the comic, uh, including, um, you know, Mark Wade and, and some others uh, who we mentioned earlier who uh, have, we, we've, we've had horror Archie, which I think is, is a lot of fun. Which I've only recently read and it's quite good. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we have, you know, the TV show, Riverdale, which is, I'm not sure, like, if the returns are diminishing or not, but it's certainly an interesting take on Riverdale and Archie and uh, his wacky cast of characters. Yes. But uh, I I think what is interesting, and and to kind of contextualize where we're approaching uh, these comics that we that this collected edition that we read today it should be noted and i i kind of wanted to bring this up uh and maybe we could both uh, address before going into this too much is our first experience with archie and for me it's like i i cannot let let this discussion pass without at least mentioning that my first take on archie as a young uh gentleman being raised by uh some very conservative christian parents, uh, my dad was a preacher, uh, my first take on Archie was Christian Archie comics uh, that was published in the 70s and into the 80s, and it was this comic company called Spire. Spire Comics, right? Oh, wow. You know, you could say they were a Spiration <laughs> company, and so it was, uh, it was Christian Archie and it was mostly written and illustrated by a guy named Al Hartley or Hal Hartley, depending on which uh, internet news source you wish to uh, adhere to. But uh, um, so my first experience with Archie was this, these Spire comics, uh, Archie comics that uh, were of a religious bent. <laughs> the thing is, I had never heard of this. I didn't know, I didn't know that existed until you told me about it when we were discussing this episode, it makes perfect sense that that would be a thing. Sure, yeah. But, but it just goes to show, Archie's got its fingers in everything. It's, it's across the board, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's all over the place. And, you know, I mean, the idea was that Archie was very wholesome and, you know, his wacky adventures and, and uh, you know, of course, these comics contextualize Archie and with a, with a different message necessarily than sort of the 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 these okay so archie doesn't have a message that's right well it's just amazing to me that someone would look at 
any of the Archie comics, you know, from the 60s and 70s or, or before and say, huh, this isn't quite wholesome enough. Let's take it up a notch. <laughs> Let's take it up a notch. <laughs> And uh, and infuse it with some proselytizing and uh, what have you, but uh, some of it made sense. So so that was actually my first, you know, my parents, you know, didn't discourage my comic book reading, but they certainly tried to encourage me towards comics with a different message. And of course, that that whole comic company, Spire, also like gave us the Heidi, the, the very famous uh, uh, the Cross and the Switchblade. And I think uh, like there was this Heidi, the the Nazi woman. <laughs> Cross and the Switchblade. Some folks uh, listening wow. to this are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Some I'm folks, not one of them. I I would recommend, and and maybe someday we'll cover some of this stuff. That would be. That would be interesting. The cross and the switchblade. That oh. just sounds wow. Yeah, <laughs> you got to read it. It's based on a uh, on a book. Uh, I, we're not here to talk about all that stuff. Okay, okay. Uh, I, I think you should leave this in because I think uh, some comic fans who have not uh, explored the Christian comics of the seventies and eighties would. Uh, would would have some interest in uh, in checking out Spire comics and some Christian comics and that aren't chick tracks. Uh, but but no, I, so, you keep saying words that I do not know what they mean. <laughs> <laughs> but this is about Archie. It's not about that necessarily. Uh, but it it was uh, it, it was interesting to me. Like so, that's how I came into Archie, and then it it took me a while to realize that Archie was not just a a, a vessel for uh, sort of religion. It wasn't until later when I started uh, seeing the digests in the local grocery store. Uh, and it, it, you know, I think, Paul, what I mean by the Archie Digest. Oh, yeah. They would, they, it would do, you, they'd be in the checkout line at, right. uh, at supermarkets in the same way was, you'd see People Magazine or Reader's Digest or something like right. that. Right. And there was like these 200, 300 page tomes, like they were short. And, uh, you know, there might be four panels to a page. And, of course, they were on cheap, uh, really cheap newsprint. But, yeah. you know, you'd, you'd pick these up. And, and I think for a lot of people in our generation, there weren't really Archie comics, like, they, being issued in the same way that we think of, of now, like, in the, the floppies. Yeah. That's well, there were. There were. But they were more anthology collections, like, mm-hmm. uh, like you'd see in the, in, in the early 70s and late 60s. Right. Because um, I, I know that because that's how I would read. Archie comics. Everyone in my family, all the adults that were, knew I liked comics. So therefore, they would buy me Archie's. And I sure. would say, oh, thank you. Because that wasn't <laughs> what I was reading. I was reading Marvel and DC. But I would politely take it and say, read Archie. And then I would proceed to read it because it's a comic book and you had to read, <laughs> read every right. comic book that was put in your hand. You know, they were kind of great. Yeah, they were short, and, which we'll get into. They're, they're, they're quick uh, skits, basically. It's basically, you know, you either had one-page gags or three- and four-page gags. Right. Um, yeah, so the stories we'll be talking about today are, you know, usually five, six pages. It's quick in, quick out. You set up the premise, you have a couple of gags, you end with... It just seems at the end of every story, I, I could just hear the music. Dun, 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 dun. And then maybe you would guffaw. Exactly. This could be like a a variety show. They would have a, a skit and then maybe someone would sing for a few minutes and then it would do another skit. Right. You know, that's how you, it's, it's the comic book version of a variety show. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so 
so the, the collection we're reading right now is, is the Americana collections. And it's sort of, it collects Archie comics that were indicative of their times. Yeah, which I found very interesting. This collection is, a, instead of me interrupting you, go ahead and finish your thought. No, no, no. You were, you were, you were, uh, you were adding on to that thought. Well, sure. Uh, so this is a weird collection. Like this is 400 and some pages, uh, I think is mm-hmm. the collection we read. And of course it reads very quickly. And uh, it is very, it's an odd collection because I think that this collection very, because there were tons of Archie stories being produced monthly under a variety of, you know, names like Pep Comics and, you know, Archie and his girlfriends and, you know, Betty and Veronica and, you know. I was actually surprised at, at how many Archie titles there were. Yeah. I knew there were a few, but I didn't realize there's a vast array of Archie and cool titles. Thing about the, yeah. And the cool thing about this collection is it kind of gives like the issue and the date, but exactly. then you realize how many stories you're missing out on being published at this time. This was, this is a very curated collection. Yes, absolutely. It's, and yeah. And, well, and, and just to give the listeners a head up, head, head up, a heads up, we're not going to go through every single story for 400 and some pages. Oh no. Yeah, so uh, Brian and I have picked out, I, not necessarily our favorites, but ones that we think are worthy of highlighting, just sure. because of, you know, they really dig into the time period that they were written in. Yeah, um, and this, this curation is very intentional on that. It's leaving out a lot of, unfortunately, it also leaves out a lot of the uh, Archie cast. Yeah, it does. It, it, it's, it's very no heavy. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's very heavy on Archie, Reggie, Betty, Veronica, Jughead. You right. occasionally get a moose in there every once in a while. Right. And, or occasionally an ethyl. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I don't want to get deep into Archie's problematic, <laughs> uh, but there's some, uh, you know, there is some subject matter that probably wouldn't be written today. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think you touch on that a little bit with the, um, yeah, the Bechdel test and yeah. we, we can hit that. And <laughs> that's what Archie said. and uh like uh you know how betty and veronica are treated or how they are presented as characters in some of these things and how they react around them although i think we could say that there there is a little bit of forward thinking there is and now we should mention that so there's a lot of there's a lot of normally when we talk about a comic book we talk about the main creative team there is not a main creative team here uh, no, there are a lot of artists, there are a lot of writers, and they're all adhering to a particular style. Uh, that style was created, or the art style at least, was created by an artist named uh, Dan DiCarlo. And he created that look uh, right. that, that we associate with Archie Comics. Very famously, yeah. Yes. And, um, and, and 99% of the time it's adhered to 100%. And there's a formula to these, uh, to these gag strips. And they, they, they adhere very closely to that strict structure. Now, that being said, within that, sometimes whoever the writer is, is just, you know, trying to put a little bit of something in there, uh, which we'll get into, whether it's about pollution or, uh, or protesting or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, again, as I said in the introduction, this is all done in a very innocent and naive way. It's They're not, very intentionally surface. Yeah. This is not Frank Miller, Archie Comics or anything like that. Yeah, so this, you know, it's it's very straightforward, but I think you'll see there is a hint of a message every now and again. Right. And and some of that is it's it's reaction rather than 
There's no theory. Yes. That, so there won't be a lot of uh, deconstructing Archie. Yeah, because it's just sort of, there are themes, but those themes are, they're, they're, they're very surface. Although there's, there's one story that I think, uh, you know, uh, we're not going to hit quite yet, but uh, uh, that, that has a very interesting statement on art. And uh, I, I'm, I'm talking about the line, I'm, I'm sure that, yeah. I think that's probably the one we'll talk about the most. Um, but let's, first of all, let's, let's get into, so, uh, so Brian and I have taken, we've curated the curation. <laughs> and picked a few comics that we liked or we thought were interesting enough to talk about. And we're going to start with a comic called Take Me to Your Leader. Uh, this originally uh, appeared in the comic Betty and Veronica, number 68, from August 1961. And it deals with, um, it deals with Betty, mm-hmm. who is home and has decided to become a beatnik. <laughs> and being a beatnik means just drag- dressing in baggy clothes and playing a bongo. <laughs> So, which in and of itself is awesome. Like, a, so I have a fascination with beatnik culture. So this, the, this was right up. Yeah. Oh, me too. I, you know, I, I'm big fan of the Beats and and, and Kerouac and Burroughs, and but that's not what this is. This is this is basically um, it, it's it's a children friendly version of beatniks, which just means playing bongos and just chilling out. Right. Or as Betty says when when Veronica shows up, park it with her, please. Oh, chick of my childhood, the pad is yours. <laughs> that's <laughs> exactly. Oddly enough, that's oddly enough the quote that I wrote down as well. <laughs> oh, man. So, of course, in this comic, Veronica is very upset <laughs> with, uh, with Betty becoming a beatnik. So sends Archie in there to set her straight. <laughs> sort of. I, it's all, they're, they're, their relationship politics are very strange. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Archie goes in there and is immediately uh, taken by the beatnik life, undoes his tie, chills out. And at some point someone says, ease in, great white daddy-o. <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah, this is exemplified by, uh, because Archie doesn't come out, Veronica then sends Reggie in to find out what's going on. Reggie goes in and is very dismissive at first saying beatnik baloney, sitting around all day, thinking deep thoughts, never moving, moving a muscle, thinking work is a dirty word, beating on a little old drum all the time and never stirring your stumps except to, and then he says, oh, I'm converted. And he, becomes, <laughs> and he becomes a beatnik himself, which again is just to be disheveled, take your shoes off and play the bongos. Now, <laughs> it's very important to have your shoes off too. That's uh, the next thing, because Reggie doesn't come out. So Jughead is sent in who sees them sitting around playing music and just getting Orbitzville, man. And Jughead becomes very, very angry at this whole situation because he thinks that they're making, they, he thinks they're making fun of, of Jughead because right. that's how he lives his life all the time. Yeah. And that's the joke. Yes. Uh, boy, that was a really bad way to describe that comic. But the, the funny oh, no. thing is, is just the, uh, this is indicative of what we'll be talking about. Beatniks are a thing at this time. So, of course, it's incorporated into the comic book in a child-friendly way. Right. Because, yes, they're sitting around listening to music, playing the bongos, just chilling. But there's one aspect of being a beatnik that's not there. <laughs> and it's a very smoke-free environment. It is an <laughs> environment. Well, it's that's off-panel. It's off-panel. Every time they switch outside, they're passing something around. Because uh, let's be honest, I mean, you know, uh, Jughead is probably the original, like, uh, you know, pothead. Well, he is always hungry. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And he's very laid back. 
you know, so that's what we're, we'll be talking about. It's just, it's, it's a very friendly, and the gag is actually kind of funny. It is, yeah, because, you know, poor Jughead's like all mad because he thinks they're making fun of him. Yeah, I thought they were just making fun of me, he says. <laughs> and then, of course, that's when the music plays. Dun, 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 dun. So that's, that's basically the setup of, or that's how these, these comics go. Right. At least in this collection, where you know you have the basic setup, a couple of gags in the middle, and then finally the punchline, and it's very formulaic. And you know there's a there's a structure that everyone follows. Now the ones we've been picking out, or some of the ones we've picked out, appeal to me because they kind of they work within the set, that structure, but are trying to do something a little bit different in it. And the first one that really stuck out to me, and obviously to you, Brian, because you you chose this one to talk about. The house that Lodge built. Right. Yeah. Yes. And it's done in this uh, kind of narration. Right. Uh, it's almost fairy tale-esque. Exactly. Right. It starts or, with this. Or fable-esque, maybe more than fairy tale. So this is uh, Veronica's dad. It is Veronica's dad, right? Yes, Mr. Lodge. Okay. okay. <laughs> I was just making sure. Hence the house that Lodge built. Lodge built. Yes. Uh, yes. So this is Mr. Lodge and... It begins with this narration. This is the house that Lodge built. This is the man who lives in the house that, that Lodge built. This is the thorn in the side of the man who lives in the house that Lodge built. Right. And it goes on like that, just following Archie's uh, misadventures throughout this house, breaking things. And and it establishes, so, you know, of course, Archie and Mr. Lodge, because Archie is, is, is one of uh, Veronica's bows, and someone who Mr. Lodge clearly... Uh, does not approve of in any way, shape, or form. And, uh, of course, this is the ongoing... Again, this, is, uh, this isn't new. <laughs> right. This is the, the conflict between Archie and his lady friend's dad is a tale as old as time. The father disapproves of the boyfriend. But to be honest, I kind of disapprove of Archie, too. Well, I think, yeah, if this was uh, my daughter, I, I might, uh, you know, because, you know, Archie's kind of an idiot. <laughs> well, I he's, mean, also, it, he's also breaking up with her constantly to go to another girl. Right. Well, Which, yes, you know. That, that, would, that would annoy me as a father. <laughs> <laughs> I should mention this, uh, this comic originally appeared in Archie 138 in 1963. So there's some very 1963 values. Yeah, a little bit. Um, uh, but it's very clever. Uh, the way that it's uh, is done in this, uh, like you said, fairy tale narration mm-hmm. of of Archie just running amok throughout the throughout the house, right? The, the mansion, because you know Mr. Lodge. Is very yes, well. I mean he does scatter Mr. Lodge's uh, stamp collection all over the <laughs> room. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of it's anarchy. It is in some ways. I mean, it's Archie is an anarchist. <laughs> Maybe not an anarchist, but he's certainly an agent of chaos. Definitely an agent of chaos. And, and so you have Mr. Lodge's the, the very structured life. And every time Archie enters into Mr. Lodge's life and enters into his home, which is a structured, very proper home, it, Archie enters into this and, and he just, everything like go, runs amok. Exactly. There's a very interesting bit. Uh, one panel is left blank because it's... Uh, the, the narration says, fate has a way of spoiling everyone's fun with an asterisk. We don't know what fate looks like. Draw your own picture here. <laughs> right. Which is fantastic. That's a yeah. great joke. So there's uh, the writers on this. Now, the writers really aren't credited other than just a list of people. 
Right. Uh, so we don't, at least I there can are, find, I, I don't know who was writing each individual comic. There are Archie scholars of which neither of us are who could identify yeah. based on, you know, sort of linguistic and, and, uh, and art style, linguistic style and art style that could probably be like, well, this is clearly written by blah, blah, blah. And, right. We're, we're not, we're not those people. No, but this was, um, this was obviously very assembly line stuff and this was clever. Really yeah. having fun with the, yeah, really having fun with the, the structure that was, that was given to them. And of um, course the big bum at the end is after Archie saves the mansion from a fire or whatever. I forget exactly, but you know, and then, then he refers to, you know, Mr. Lodge's dad. <laughs> right. And then, you know, there's the, <laughs> the stars and the, and the action lines around his face that show that he does not like that at all. No, no. Yes. I, yeah, I no. There's a there's a run ongoing thing. I don't I don't know if it's going to be uh, highlighted in any of the the ones that we picked. But there's an ongoing thing throughout all these comics where the adults do not approve of the teenagers at all. They just don't like their clothes. They don't like their music. They're lazy. Just good for nothing. Don't like them at all. Right. And then they'll have something like the kids doing a good deed, cleaning up a, a neighborhood, or protecting the school, or saving someone from a fire. Right. And afterwards, the kids, of course, will be tired from doing that good deed. And then the parents will walk in and say, see, look how lazy they are. Yes. And I, you know, that's an ongoing gag. And I kind of like that. I like the way that that dynamic of the misunderstanding. It's very sitcom-esque, of course, but, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a good gag. Yes. Uh, why did you like Hometown? Just out of curiosity. Oh, well, so, okay, so we're moving on to, uh, is this for recording purposes or? Can be. <laughs> <laughs> it all depends on what my whims are. Right. So, so as we continue on, like, exploring, you know, sort of the nature of, you know, Archie and we have to remember that Riverdale is an essential character in the Archie comics. Riverdale is its own character. Yeah, no, I know. I, I agree. I, yeah. I mentioned that in the, the intro. Yes, yes, exactly. And, you know, I mean, it's like, so th there's a few comics in here where it, it uses Riverdale as part of the hometown, hence the, this particular comic called Hometown. And uh, what, I, what I liked about uh, Hometown is, first of all, also referring to your intro, is, uh, is, is Riverdale on the coast? <laughs> in this one it is. In this one it is. Unless um, it's a giant inland sea. But right, <laughs> that people were surfing and whatever, but uh, uh, so it's so this particular comic is 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 humorous because it's it, it also reminds us that we have no idea. I, I think Riverdale actually may be like a ghost town, uh, or, <laughs> or some kind of phantom town that moves around uh, the country as serves its purpose. Um, but it's like uh, it's a, it's like uh, Doom Patrol. It's like Doom Patrol. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, <laughs> Riverdale just floats around. It's, it, Riverdale's Danny the Street. Danny the Street, exactly. But uh, one of the reasons I highlighted uh, Hometown is uh, the story itself is, it's, it's generic, it's negligible in, in many ways. But uh, what it does is it shows, you know, Archie very, being very um, patriotic to his hometown. And so you get, it, it's, it's them on the beach and, you know, Archie is, there's a few stories where Archie is a big rah, rah, rah about Riverdale. But on this one, you know, he's, he's got all his Riverdale paraphernalia, his flags and his uh, beach blanket and whatever else. And 
of course he gets confronted by you know these ne'er-do-wells from the other town uh central city god they hate those people oh those guys from Uh, they suck think in central city and you know they gang up on him and and uh you know, try to like intimidate him, and you know, there's a threat of violence, right? From 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 these uh, from these central cityans. I don't know, centrally centralians, centralians. And this is an introduction of Archie as superhero almost, because and and this is an ongoing theme too. It's like it's it's like you know, Archie is Hulk, right? Because Archie gets all bulked up suddenly. And starts beating up all the Centralians. No, the power of patriotism, you know, uh, or provincialism, I guess. Right. Yeah, provincialism is probably better. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just because we've seen it's like Archie. Archie is kind of um, Jimmy Olsen. Uh, he's very much Jimmy Olsen. Right. Yeah. Uh, where he takes on, you know, it's it's you know, Archie suddenly it's like when you push him too far, like he grows like the Grinch where his heart grew 10 sizes too large. And (laughs) so you have this kind of wacky visual gag of a pumped up Archie, like, you know, rocking and socking them. I I don't know. It just, as a visual thing, it's, it's also indicative of which I don't think this collection covers a lot of like Archie's sort of more out there sort of nods to superheroes. Right, which will culminate in them actually becoming superheroes uh, in the 80s. Right. But yeah, this, this ends up with, uh, with Archie basically beating everyone up, including, including the girls, which is... Right, well, you, yes. know, you, know, you know, equal opportunity. This, by the way, was from, uh, from 1974 at Archie at Riverdale High, which is another title did not know about, uh, number 19, Archie at Riverdale High, number 19, from 1974. <laughs> Yeah, so he beats everybody up and then makes them sing the Riverdale theme song. And, you yeah. know, I mean, you're basically just short of having the little circle with the bluebirds, you know, flying around their heads. Well, no, you, you got that with all the, the sploosh, swat, crunch, smash, and stars everywhere. It's all done. It's all literally cartoon violence. So it's all done in a, in a family-friendly way. But it is, you know, this, this is, you know, shows... Riverdale, like like I said in the intro, is is a character in and of itself, mm-hmm. which keeps popping up again. And there's another comic where he sells Riverdale paraphernalia, right? And people buy it even if there isn't a game, right? There's no game, yeah. <laughs> but then uh, someone makes fun of him for selling it, and then the the whole town of Riverdale like gathers around and and so you know, well, I'm gonna buy this because how dare you insult Riverdale? Exactly. So people love their town. Yes. It's it's all very sweet and good natured, even though Archie does beat the crap out of people. <laughs> and it's one of the few instances of actual, you know, violence. Although, as you said, it's cartoon violence. You know, the the, yeah. the, the comic is never about actual violence, and even when it is, it's it's humorously done. But well, you know, this, this is a thing. Like it's this is like so. Archie was never. It's it's not about vanquishing the bad guys. No. It's usually just overcoming, you know, a misconception or, or making a decision. There's lots of these comics that are just, I have to make a decision and it takes the entire length of the comic to make that decision. Or sometimes it doesn't get made at all. No. Yeah. 
No, but you never, as far as, you know, violence is concerned, you know, you'll have people, you know, I've moose threatened to beat people up. Right. Every people, once in a while. You know, because Midge. Because Midge. And uh, this is actually one of the few that actually has fighting in it. And it's not really even fighting. You just see people falling down. Right. With the implication that Archie did some, some fisticuffs. Right. It's just goofy. Yeah, it is goofy. But let's get into some hot topics of the day. Ooh, hot topic. Are we going to talk about like uh, anarchy t-shirts? and Even better. Uh, because in Laugh, uh, number 248, Laugh is apparently a comic book. Okay. Or it was a magazine, I guess. Uh, anyway, it was from no- November 1971, and Betty and Veronica go around town to get everybody's opinion on hot pets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you have the, lo- the, the man who works at the local TV uh, station is very angry because of uh, all the hot pants being worn. Men don't watch TV anymore. They're just out watching the girls in their hot pants. Watching the girls in their hot pants, yeah. Jughead makes the joke that Ethel is lukewarm pants. <laughs> Which, you it's, know, it's actually kind of a funny joke. <laughs> yeah, but there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's questionable, but it's still kind of funny. There's one, they're very shocked by one man who uh, wants to ban hot pants, and that's because he just bought for his store, all these middies. <laughs> By the way, there's a thing called middies, which is a, which is a dress that comes down midway, I guess. I, I believe, yes. They're, yes. they're, they're not middies, they're not minis, they're middies. Yeah, uh, forgive me, I was unfamiliar with the midi skirt. Well, M-I, yeah. that's M-I-D-I. Yes, we're, we're showing our expertise on women's fashion here. <laughs> yes. But anyway, it's just, I, I just think this is so, ridiculous <laughs> well sure but you know i think when we were first talking about this this is the one you were like you were like there's a story called you know hot pants or whatever you know and it's like but this is also it, it's 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 showing um you know the fact that the comics are trying to be timely as well exactly because this you, was, yeah you see this in a lot of these like a, a particularly the way that uh, the comics that are choosing to pr- present i mean we have comics that are talking about cb radio Right. We're talking about the climate crisis. About the pet rock. About the yeah. There's one about a a pet rock. You know, and it's it's all very it's all very timely yet reactionary yet as you said very kind of uh, innocent but uh, you know it's and and obviously like some of the mores and attitudes of the day you know it's we still haven't really talked about like how Betty and Veronica are you know, again, not passing the Bechdel test. Uh, We haven't really talked about the fact that Jughead is probably one of the first um, ace characters in comics. Yeah, (laughs) probably so. Um, Jughead's a weird character. Let's just say that straight up. He's probably the, when you say Archie comics, except for Archie himself, Jughead's probably the character that comes to people's mind. Because he's a very, he's, everyone has a very uniform style. I mean, right. I mean, Betty and Veronica are essentially the same person, except their hair color is different. As far as how they're drawn, Jughead, uh, Jughead has has a, has a unique look to it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Just style. Okay. St- how they how they appear on stylistically the in a, in terms of appearance, not in terms. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Jughead has a. He's one of the few characters that has a very unique look from the, right. you know, from the large nose and the crown on his head. 
just as a complete aside, I went on a deep dive to find out where that hat comes from, by the way. People used to wear beanies back in the 40, 30s and 40s. Yes. Take hats and turn them inside out and cut little crowns on them. And just over time, uh, that stopped being a thing, but Jughead continued to wear his. I spent way too long on the internet looking up Jughead's hat. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I needed to mention it at least once. But anyway, Jughead's sort of a problematic character. I hate using the word problem, problematic about Jughead. But yeah, problematic isn't the word we're really looking at. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, but he's kind of mean at times. Yeah, he's kind of, uh, Jughead's kind of a dick. <laughs> Straying away from that, but yeah, he's a, he's a jerk. Uh, yeah, I don't really want to deconstruct uh, Archie comics too far. <laughs> These are all, uh, what do you want to call them, archetypes? Right. These are what people thought teenagers were at right. the time. And they um, do represent certain, you know, I mean, it's, you know, the, the fact that uh, Betty and Veronica are, you know, kind of boy crazy and Reggie and Archie are kind of girl crazy. I mean, it's, it, there, there, there are a lot of assumptions being made on in terms of uh, how... Okay, I know you didn't want to deconstruct too much, but no, no, uh, go for it, go for it. Uh, but you know, there there are certain assumptions being made about like you know these are adult writers writing teens, and they are kind of imposing certain roles yes. upon these upon these teens and and how they perceive themselves as humans or as again we're, we're talking to cartoon characters i get that you know yeah. but at the same time it's you know when you read this it's like like you said it's uh, again i mean we we can't we have to talk about like betty and veronica and how they are juxtaposed juxtaposed in terms of like where their value lies and their value in 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 is their value is based on how you know they are perceived or like yeah i'm trying to <laughs> it, no it's it you know I, they, I try they, to tread carefully in here without going in into too, going too deep into this yeah well they're they're the uh, many of the comics in at least well not in this collection just in archie in general deal with betty and veronica either how they look or who they're going to date right and that's what they talk about and that's what their life revolves around. Mm. And that's very um, overly simplistic of what a teenage girl's life is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and again, like you said, this is uh, old people writing teenagers. <laughs> yeah. So and, again, you know, where the danger is to overanalyze, but at the same time, I think it should be acknowledged. Yes. And it, absolutely. What you just said. So Yes, we are aware of these things. At the same time, I'm saying this is a kid's comic from, you know, the 60s and 70s. And the, what they were trying to do, they did very well. Right. Um, there is a quote I pulled from, uh, from a book called 12 Cent Archie. Uh, it's written by a guy named Bart Beatty. And he says of Archie, the goal of Archie Comics was not to produce a widely disparate set of stories, but to provide readers with virtually the same material month after month with only as much variation as it would be required to keep them coming back. Yeah, which is exactly what we're seeing here. So yes, there's a love triangle, if you want to call it that, with Betty, Veronica, and Archie. And that has to be perpetuated constantly. And it's, there's, there's a little level of frustration, you know, uh, in terms of it's, Veronica always seems to be the first choice and Betty is always 
the foil. Yeah. You know, guess, who, the, guess who has more money? Right. Well, yeah, there's, there's that too. Yeah. So, I mean, so that's an unfortunate aspect of, uh, of the comic, but that's the, that's the joke that they keep coming back to. Who's Archie right. going to choose? Or... And it's a decades-long joke. Yes. No, I realize that Archie has had a bit of a renaissance in the last 10 years or so. Right. And that kind of thing has been addressed and, yes. and done incredibly well, both in a realistic way and in a comic cartoonish way. Right. Um, and I'm, and I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm down on this comic because it doesn't have uh, feminist values. Right. Well, I don't know. No, yeah. And I don't think we're, I mean, I think we're just trying to acknowledge rather than uh, place, yeah. you know, but I think it's important to, you know, at least throw out there that we are aware. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, which let's, let's talk about something that does in my mind, a very clever way of talking about a, a subject that was going on that was very big in the 1970s, which is pollution. Right. And this is an idea of Archie telling a funny gag, but actually having a pretty, pretty good point. Um, now, this was, this is a comic uh, called Why Me? Oh, right, right, yeah. And it was presented in Archie 210 and from July 1971. And what it does is it shows Archie walking with Jughead, being very, very upset about how pollution is ruining the world. Right. And as they're talking, he attempts to throw a gum wrapper into a trash can and misses. It falls on the ground. Two kids then come by and see people are throwing stuff on the ground, so they throw their stuff on the ground. Now, in a very comedic fashion, more kids come by and start throwing their trash on the ground. Then a car comes by and dumps all its trash out of the car on the ground. Uh, Then a dog knocks over the trash can. Then people see all the trash on the ground, so they start dumping their appliances. And, uh, and, it comes, and then a trash truck comes by and decides to just dump its trash there. And again, and then the, the gag at the end is Archie coming by and saying, well, what a dump this place has become. And then it's Betty and Veronica who have to teach them to pick up after themselves. Exactly. Yes, they get scolded. And then, of course, and, and so then Archie and, and Jughead start cleaning up and Betty and Veronica are helping them or whatever. And then the kids who, and so it's the you know, pass it along kind of thing because the kids see, oh, it's, it's cool to clean up after yourself. Right. Yeah, so, so that's kind of the, the, the big point that they're trying to make is you don't want these, you, we know what the goal is, but you have to do it, your, you have to have responsibility yourself and kids will see and follow your lead, you know? And it, it's, it's, a good, it's a good message, you know, for the target audience. I, I just thought this one was done really well. It's a good gag. I like the fact that it just keeps escalating and escalating to the point where a trash truck just dumps its whole load <laughs> on this ground. Right, which you know. is, you know, and it's, it's you know, it's, that's kind of a, it's comedy, you know, 101 in some ways. Yes, it, this would not be uncommon in, say, a Marx Brothers movie. Right, no. Uh-uh. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it, actually, it, it's, it's Archie doing a good gag. And it's, uh, it's actually giving a, a good message. Yeah. And I think that keeps in, like, because it's timely and, uh, you know, it's sort of like a couple other, uh, you know, at least several other comics in this that we both kind of highlighted. You know, it's the, um, uh, it's the Over and Out, which is about CB radio. There's uh, Video Vexation, which is about video games. There's Costume Caper, which brings in Star Wars. I mean... You know, I mean, these are three that we kind of highlighted as 
you know, comics to sort of mention or think about. Exactly. I do want to mention real quick about video vexation. The reason I wanted to talk about that one. Uh, first of all, it's from Betty and Veronica 263 from 77. And uh, <laughs> first of all, we're talking about video games, but that video game is, of course, Pong, which is, you know, just all the rage, you know, just from personal experience for me as a kid, Pong was amazing. But this is, you can actually see where Gamergate came from, this cartoon. Oh, yeah. Because uh, the, the idea is that all the boys are playing video games and the girls are very upset. So the girls decide to become really good at the video games and they start beating all the boys. Yep. But then the boys say, oh, we don't want video games. Now the girls are playing it. <laughs> and I just read this and thought, oh my God, it hasn't ended. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is like, yeah, 1977, right? It's 1977. 40 some odd years later, it's still low. Yeah. I mean, she's just that goodness. There wasn't social media in 77. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I guess I, we're, we're kind of treading over the same ground. But basically, I guess what we're getting at is that Archie was, was really a sponge to, uh, to cultural trends and just yeah. tried to incorporate anything and everything that was happening at the time into its oeuvre. And uh, and sometimes did it really well, and sometimes right not so, so much. Varying degrees of success, you yeah. know. I mean, it's like uh, like what one of my favorites was the CB radio one. You know, it's like Archie. Uh, sorry, over and out, over and out from Archie two fifty six from nineteen seventy six, and Archie get Archie gets a CB radio and decides to uh, talk with Veronica in trucker talk. Which okay. Right. A little bit of a little Fine. bit of a calling pussy cat. Yes, a little bit of an aside. Isn't it amazing that at some point in our nation's history, trucker culture was like the biggest thing? It, it literally was huge. Everybody had a CD, CB. Uh, there were movies. There were songs. Oh yeah. You know, trucker culture was massive. I I uh, I have maybe one of the uh, most massive collections of uh, trucker tunes uh, <laughs> I've assembled over the years. So of course, this particular one really appealed to me. I, like, yeah, I, I, I have an interest in uh, you know trucker tunes. So it's uh, so I love this, you know, and of course the fact that you know he's his handle is Poopsie Pie, and uh, there's Pussy Cat. That's Poopsie the pie? handle you want to have when you're on CB radio. Which, of course, that's the final gag is that people have been listening to them, uh, Betty, uh, sorry, Veronica and Archie call each other Poopsie Pie and Pussycat over the CB. And, of course, they get rid of their CB because they're embarrassed. Right. This ends with a really cool little panel that says, let's hear it from you, your readers. You know, what's your handle? And basically asking people to call in and give their handle. Okay. But and asked to send it somewhere, of course, that's blanked out because who knows what that address was. Yeah, exactly. It's probably like Archie at 49 Battle Creek, Michigan. <laughs> With no zip code because, you know, everyone knows where that was. <laughs> right. Yes, of course. Operator, get me Battle Creek, Michigan. Say. Say, say. Hi, is this Battle Creek, Michigan? <laughs> Trying to reach Poopsie Pie. <laughs> Can you can you help me on Poopsie Pie? One moment, sir. We'll be with you in just a second. 
and again, it's like you know the video game, the the CB radio. I mean, these these are are comedy. They they have really good gags. The other thing I like about the CB radio one is it it actually acknowledges Pop's Diner, yes, or Pop's Chocolate Shop. It's chocolate. Chocolate. C H O C K L I T. Chocolate. So which, even which, back then, which he was lit. Makes an appearance in this collection, and it's such an integral part. The diner is such an in, 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 integral part of. Archie throughout the years and this collection kind of gives short shrift to Pop's Chocolate Shop. Actually, there's one, and I don't have it in front of me because it's not one that we put on our list, but there's one where uh, a different chocolate shop opens up across the street. Right, yeah. That has uh, like old throwback uh, styles. Old timey. It, it was old timey. It was basically a hipster shop. Right. And it with double the prices mm-hmm. and it becomes incredibly popular. So everybody goes to the new hipster joint uh, until Pops starts advertising that uh, he has old-timey prices. <laughs> and they all come back. Yeah. Uh, right. That's a good gag, too. But, you know... People are also wearing their bespoke clothing at that point, right? Exactly. You know, I'm reading into uh, what we're living in right now, and I'm reading into it back then. So they, weren't, they wouldn't have considered that hipster. Right. But at the same time, that's exactly what it is. You know? Yeah. You know. Just seeing old timey stuff and how cool that is, but it becoming trendy and costing a lot of money. Okay, so I think we're kind of talking in circles. Uh, we I, I, anyone who's listening basically has the gist of how we feel about Archie, right? So I want to end with the one comic that I feel is probably the best in the entire collection. And I agree. It is meta and surreal and just a very creative comic. Be it Archie or any anyone. Or any other comedic co- uh, co- uh, cartoon or comic. And that is called The Line. And it is from Archie, number 182, from June 1968. And it starts with uh, a line, like a drawn line running across the page. Reggie comes running down the street and <laughs> is clotheslined by the line that's written on the, that's drawn on the page. Just a random line drawn across the pages. I was kind of thinking this is similar to, uh, say, Duck Amuck. Uh, the old Warner Brothers cartoon where Daffy Duck keeps getting drawn over. Oh, right, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's oh, how it's... Oh, that, good, good, good comparison, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's, it's just sort of, um, yeah, so the line just keeps going. It breaks through panels. People, can, the, the characters can touch it. They can swirl it around trees. Uh, people get hung up in it. And it's just a single pen line through the page. It's brilliant. Kids play jump, uh, jump rope with it. They, uh, characters get tangled up. It's, it's, it's really, really clever. Yes, and and the whole shtick is, and during this, they actually refer to the artist. The characters in the story are referring to the artist drawing the story. The fact that this is a drawn line in a comic. Yes, they are aware of the fact that they are characters in a comic, and that they, and that they're in panels, actually. Yes, yeah, they acknowledge that. I mean, it's it's. I wonder if Grant Morrison had read this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. This was Grant Morrison's first comic. This is, you know, this is yeah. Buddy Baker looking at, you know, looking out at the reader saying, I can see you or, you know. Exactly. That's, the, yeah, that's exactly the, uh, the idea that's here. And it's just so clever and so just out of left field. Uh, I like the fact that Betty decides to tangle, tangle up her and Archie together. So right. Together, causing Veronica to cut it off. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the line that is, so, the, so the to line. speak. Um, 
and restate that. All right. Yeah, well, I, I say leave it. Yeah, it's just, it's very, very clever. Uh, and and if- it's drawn incredibly well. I mean, it, it just, it's like, and the, the fact that the, the, the writer and the artist are working in sync with this and, you know, the, I, I, I would be curious whose idea it was. I assume it's the writer because, but who knows, you know, it's, but, you know, it's the writer is writing for the artist and the artist is, is doing an incredible job. It just, you know, it, like all the visuals in it are really incredibly well done. Yeah, and I, I love how it goes from paddle to paddle. and yeah, The level of self-awareness to this, uh, the, the fact that it's uh, the characters on the, I mean, there, there's so many meta things going on here and, and people can figure that out for themselves. We don't need to explicate too much on the matter. Well, no, at, at one point, Archie wants to get an eraser to rub out the line, but uh, because the jerk left this stupid line in our story and the writer wasn't too bright. And it's just, it's so incredibly meta and self-referential incredibly good and of course it ends with uh jughead taking the line and writing the word for the, the end. end yeah and that's how it ends um, i mean it's just it's this this story really stood out i think for both of us mm-hmm. um in this where we went from just like a the the casual sort of fun and innocence and whatever to something that like how was this in a kid's comic from 1968. Well, if you look at, you know, again, I'm going to be reading into this, but uh, at that time in 68, 68 to 70, there's a lot of experimental comics and experimental film and just, you know, things were really opening up and it just seems strange. Well, uh, not strange, just what we're talking about, uh, you know, how Archie was a sponge for all this stuff. Right. And so it, it picked up even surreal abstract ideas. Mm-hmm. And threw it in their comic. Yeah, but you're right about, because this actually falls kind of right in the middle of the collection. Yeah. I was reading and things were kind of getting repetitive. I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. Yeah, that was a clever joke. And then this. And I thought, ooh, I- I'd like more of this, please. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's, this was just incredibly well done. If nothing else, uh, the readers out there, go find the comic The Line. It's quite 19, good. What, 19, 1968, right? Yeah, it's, it's really quite good. So, you know, Archie, it's just sort of, it's just sort of always been there. Right. You know, it's one of those timeless comics that uh, just continues and continues. And it just, uh, I mean, there's so many, like I said earlier, there's a sort of a renaissance now where, you know, Archie basically can cross over with anything and anybody because it's so ingrained in our culture. And it, which is, which is, it's a, <laughs> I guess it's a symbiotic relationship. Right. That Archie has made its way by trying to, you know, incorporating culture, and then culture has in turn incorporated. incorporated it back. Archie's just a fun comic, and it's just sort of sweet and innocent. Don't read much more into it than that. I mean, it's it's sort of like uh, like when we've covered some similar comics in terms of uh, you know the Scrooge, yeah, Scrooge McDuck, and uh, you know where it's like. You know, this is this is part. This is such a strong part of the history of comics and illustration, and and uh, all of the various things that have led to some of the more serious comics that we talk about sometimes, or that other people talk about, and what have you. So, yeah. If nothing else, uh, Archie has been a gateway drug for comic lovers. Yes. You start on some Archie, and then hit some harder stuff later. <laughs> <laughs> 
we started with ginger ale and work our way up to ale and then and then 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 we get to well, maybe some sarsaparilla right some sarsaparilla <laughs> uh, yeah but i recommend if and there's so much archie out there you can't go wrong just pick up a digest and, and give it some give it a perusal yeah you know and uh so I'm glad that uh, I, I'm really glad that uh, we got this uh, this recommendation. I think yeah. uh, this I should I haven't mentioned this yet. This recommendation was from uh, my coworker Mark, who thought it would be really funny to make us talk about Archie. So this was sort of a joke recommendation, but you know what? I wanted to do it. So yeah, the heck yeah. with you, Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're happy to have done it. Yeah. That's right. Go there. No, he was he was just being funny, but. But uh, but it's good. I'm glad I'm glad he did, and uh, I'm glad we read this. Yeah, same yeah. here. Everybody should read Archie. That's right. So next time on an next time, I believe it's uh, oh, it's I, mine. Yeah. yeah, I believe it's you. It is me. So next time on an all new collected edition, uh, we will be discussing Wonder Woman: The Circle. Uh, this is a four issue comic book story arc written by Gail Simone with art by Terry and Rachel Dodson. Uh, this story covers issues 14 through 17 of Wonder Woman uh, from 2008. <laughs> Not the original 14 through 17. That's a different comic altogether. I imagine so. Yeah. Uh, so now this is from the, um, it's not New 52. It's just before New 52. So and it's, uh, it's the start of Gail Simone's run. Nice. Yeah. This would have coincided perfectly with the release of Wonder Woman, the movie, Wonder Woman 1984. And then they changed the date to Christmas. Because of course. Because of course. But I'm not going to change my recommendation because no, this is good. And talking about Wonder Woman is going to be fun. And yeah. who doesn't like Gail Simone? Uh, there's a few, but uh, neither you or I. You and I love Gail Simone. There right. are people who don't, but uh, they don't really count as human beings. So. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so that's it. So next time, Wonder Woman, The Circle. Nice. Yeah. Uh, anything else to add, Brian? I don't. I think uh, I think we're good. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for listening to our rambling talk on Archie. Yeah, I, I wonder how interesting we actually were. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, please send us your feedback and let us know what you think. Send an uh, email to comments at collectededitionpodcast.com. Visit our home on the web, collectededitionpodcast.com, and leave a message or leave a comment on, an, on this individual episode. Or just hit us up on Twitter at Collected Ed Pod. That's Collected E D P O D. Uh, that's it. So till next time, keep reading comics and be well. You've been listening to the Collected Edition, a comic book podcast. The Collected Edition is a Daddy Elk production. All materials used on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. The show can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, as well as online at CollectedEditionPodcast.com, where comments can be left on individual episodes. You can also send us feedback at comments at CollectedEditionPodcast.com or on Twitter at CollectedEdPod. That's Collected, E-D-P-O-D. The Collected Edition, a comic book podcast, is for entertainment purposes only. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Uh, I, I it, like while we're having a short uh, moment here. Uh, I don't know if you've caught, but we've had a visitor. Yes, I am perfectly fine. Actually, I am very impressed. Nucky has been like right on cue. <laughs>
I'll, I'll make a point and he'll go, Meow. like, yeah. that's right. 